All right. Well, this last year, God dealt with me with, on a, a few things, and um, <clears throat> I, like Pastor said, I'm, I'm, I'm much, this is very much out of my comfort zone. My comfort zone is over in the other building with miniature humans, <laughs> teaching them a good Bible story. This is very much out of my comfort zone, but I knew that this is what God wanted me to do, and um, I was, to, if I'm being completely honest, I was kind of bummed that pastor said we weren't going to have a New Year's Eve service and we weren't going to do a, a preaching post because I knew that's what God wanted me to do. And uh, there was a number of us that um, we decided we were going to get together for New Year's Eve anyway. And uh, we were over at Jerry and Hannah's house and he came to me and he said, you know what, just because we're not doing a preaching post at church doesn't mean we can't have a preaching post. Would you like to do something at my house? I said, yes. And then Pastor put up the sign-up sheet for the preaching post. And I was like, man, i got to do it. So God gave me two specific things this year, this last year that he worked on me uh, over. And uh, both of those things he gave me clear outlines for. And I knew that he wanted me to do both of them. The problem that I ran into was I had my plan of which one I wanted to do when. And as I went over them, it was very obvious that God wanted me to preach this one here tonight. And uh, um, with that being said, I, I'd like to open in a word of prayer. Lord, uh, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for the opportunity to be in your house once again. And uh, Lord, uh, thankful that everybody made it out here tonight. Lord, uh, just use me to get this message across that you've given to me. You know the uh, conflict that I have, and uh, just uh, put me aside and use me in a in a in a great way for you. And uh, just bless as we look at this uh, scripture tonight in your name. Amen. So I uh, listened to the podcast from this morning so I could steal the rest of Jerry's outline. And uh, so, no, I'm just um, So I know it's going to be a surprise to most to, that um, I enjoy politics. And yeah, I know. Right. As, as Randy King would say, shocking. <laughs> so with that in mind, uh, we're going to go to Romans chapter 13. One of the things that God really dealt with me this year or last year about was specifically what should a Christian's role in government be, and in what capacity should that look like? And uh, this is what he showed me in Romans chapter 13. Now, we typically hear Romans chapter 13 taught or preached that it's our, uh, a Christian's responsibility and relationship with our earthly government, and that is 100% correct. But I believe that there's another point of view in the first part of this chapter, and that is a biblical outline for the correct form of government. Not only do we have the outline of how we're supposed to act, but how our government is supposed to act. And the reality of the situation is that we need Christians on both sides. We need Christians to be citizens so that they can exhibit what a good citizen looks like. But we need Christians to be involved in government too, so that we can show what a biblical form of government looks like. And it's very important to have both of those, both of those sides. And I think we can break this chapter down into three uh, very distinct sections. First of all, I think it deals with how to be a good citizen. And I know that the book of Romans is written to believers, it's written to the church in Rome. I get that. And I'm not trying to say that it's not relevant to Christians. But I think that being a good citizen can encompass more than just saved people. You know, we all know moral and good lost people, and they can also be examples of a good citizen. 
And the second part of the chapter, I think it looks, uh, it talks about how to be a decent citizen with business and interpersonal relationships with our neighbors. And again, not uh, just Christians, but moral people, lost people can also be decent citizens. And lastly, I think it deals with specifically Christians, and it gives us how to be a godly citizen. So with that in mind, we'll look at the first uh, couple of verses and we'll dig in here. And I'm not going to tell you guys anything new. This is just what God showed me. Let every soul be subject unto the higher powers, for there is no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained of God. Whosoever therefore resisteth the power, resisteth the ordinance of God, and they that resist shall receive to themselves damnation. We know that all authority comes from God. It doesn't matter what the authority is on earth, it comes from God. Whether it's the husband is the head of the home, parents, the head of the children, pastors, the earthly head of a church, we have the police to enforce the laws, we have government authority. And in this chapter specifically, we know that it deals with civics, with politics, with government. And we need to remember uh, one word that came up twice in two verses, ordinance. What is an ordinance? An ordinance is just an authoritative order or an authoritative act by or from God. And God is not the author of confusion. He has given us a chain of command, an order to follow, so that we can live decently and in order with no confusion and live in peace with our government authority and our neighbors around us. Verse 3, for rulers are not a terror to good works, but to the evil. Wilt thou then not be afraid of the power? Do that which is good, and thou shalt have praise of the same. Really, what, what he's outlining here is just another way of saying, you reap what you sow. If we're living the way that we're supposed to live as Christians, maintaining a good testimony, following the rules and obeying the laws that are given to us, according to this chapter, a biblical form of government will leave you alone. Because that's the way it's supposed to work. But if you are not doing what is right, then you can expect to find punishment from that earthly government. Verse 4, For he is the minister of God to thee for good. But if thou do that which is evil, be afraid. For he, hear, for he beareth not the sword in vain, for he is the minister of God, a revenger to execute wrath upon him, that doeth evil. According to Romans chapter 13, a minister of God in government authority is someone that aggressively seeks out those that are doing the wrong and punishes them. And also someone that recognizes and rewards those that are living peaceably within the confines of the law. If you look back at Romans chapter 12, Romans chapter 12, uh, just one page back probably, in verse 17, starting there, it says, Recompense to no man evil for evil. Provide things honest in the sight of all men. If it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. Therefore, if thine enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirst, give him drink. For in so doing, thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. When we're doing our very best to uh, uh, maintain our testimony and live uh, right, do what is right, and someone in our circle, our neighbor, commits a fault against us, it is not up to us to take care of that situation. We have an earthly government chain of command and an earthly government that is to take care of that for us. We go to them. We allow them under the guidance of God, knowing that he is the one that's ultimately in control, 
to handle the situation. And if you were in Sunday school this morning, in the adult Sunday school, we talked about forgiveness. We need to make sure that not only are we letting God handle the situation through our earthly government, but don't, don't hold a grudge against that person. Because you know what? That, that person's probably lost, and they need you to maintain your testimony. God needs you to maintain your testimony through his power and strength to possibly reach that person. In, uh, back in Romans 13 and verse 5, Wherefore, ye must needs be subject not only for wrath, but also for conscience sake. Again, doing what is right, we should be rewarded. And here in America, we know that our reward for doing right is simply being allowed to enjoy our freedoms and liberties unrestricted. If I do what I'm told, leave me alone. That's all we want, right? <laughs> but And also, if we do wrong, again, we will be punished under the direction of God through that earthly government. And we can live with a clean conscience doing that which is right because we know we're doing what God wants us to do. Let's look at verses 6 and 7 together. For this cause pay ye tribute also, for they are God's ministers, attending continually upon this very thing. Render, therefore, to all their dues, tribute to whom tribute is due, custom to whom custom, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. And I know this is where we're going to probably lose a couple of people. Pay your taxes. It is your duty to pay your taxes. And it is also the government's duty to collect those taxes according to this verse. God's outline for this for our government is that government officials be compensated for the work that they do and it is their job to collect that compensation. You might not like the person that's in the government authority and you might not agree with everything that they do. Pay your taxes. And yes, I agree. Taxation without representation, we've already fought that war. Right? I agree over taxation is wrong. I agree. But taxation is not theft, contrary to what some parties want you to believe today says so right there. Pay your taxes. Verse 7, again, pay your taxes. Tribute, pay your taxes. Custom, you know, I think this is talking about having regular dealings with our government officials. You know, we should be able to get on the phone and talk to them anytime or send them an email at any time. Perfect example is Pastor and our former Assemblyman Gary Finch. If Assemblyman Finch ever needed anything, he knew he could call Freedom Baptist Church and he would get a hand in whatever he needed. And if an issue came up that we knew was something needed to be dealt with, pastor could call Assemblyman Finch, and he knew he was going to have his ear, and he was going to be heard on behalf of Freedom Baptist Church. We should have a good working relationship with our government officials at all times. Fear. We should respect the person that holds the office. Uh, again, whether you agree with them or not, they hold the office. Respect them. And also, honor. Respect the office. You know, we might not agree with who, who sits in the Oval Office, but we should respect the office of President of the United States. We may not agree with the person who sits in the governor's mansion, but we need to respect the office of governor of the state of New York, and so on down the chain of command. Respect the person and respect the office. That's what God wants us to do in order to be a good citizen. And again, these first few verses, I think, are deeper than just Christians. You know, it, it's all-encompassing. Everybody can be a good citizen. But it's, it's up to us to be that model of what God wants so that other people can see it. Let's look and uh, take the next few verses in, in, uh, together as well, 8 through 10. Owe no man anything but to love one another, for he that loveth another hath fulfilled the law. For this cause thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness, thou shalt not covet, 
And if there be any other commandment, it is briefly comprehended in this saying, namely, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Love worketh no ill to his neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. Christians should have a good testimony when it comes to business dealings. We should be honest. We should be a people of our word. We should make good deals in accordance with God's will for our life. And in so doing, we maintain that good testimony and exhibit to a lost world the love and honesty of our God. And we can show them just how good our God is. And you know, as we strive to maintain this good testimony with our fellow man, it's important for us to uphold the law and become that decent model citizen. You know, John Adams said that our form of government works best for a moral and religious people. Why do you think that is? I think it's because Christians, and I know this is going to sound bad, Christians are conditioned to search the law so that we can better understand it, so that we can better serve God. Just as that spills over, and Christians are willing to dig into the law, the bill when it's introduced, while it's being legislated, while it's being signed into a law, so that we can better understand it, so that we can become better citizens. And that's why it works best for, for a Christian or a moral and religious people. And we need to also remember that in the New Testament age of grace, we don't follow the law, whether it's God's law or, or man's law. We don't follow it for a, a means of atonement. We follow it to be a good testimony to those around us. It's what God wants us to do. Uh, you don't have to turn there, but in 1 Peter chapter 2, it says, Submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether it be to the king as supreme, or unto governors as unto them that are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers, and for the praise of them that do well. For so is the will of God, that with well-doing ye may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. And I don't mean to speak for Mr. Didio, but in his last race, he had some gross accusations thrown at him. And because of his testimony, he didn't have to say a thing to defend himself. Everybody around him was able to say, you are absolutely off your rocker if you think that about Mike Didio. If we live the way that we're supposed to and maintain our good testimony, not only will we be able to win uh, possibly win a lost soul, but we will also be able to silence the ignorance and accusations of those around us. And again, these verses are, we need Christians to be good models of decent citizens, but this is not limited to just Christians. There are plenty of moral people that are lost that can also be decent citizens, have good business dealings and get along with their neighbors. But this is the part that I think applies specifically to Christians. And, and remember, we're talking about the context of civics and in government. Verse 11, And that knowing the time, that now it is high time to awake out of sleep, for now is our salvation nearer than when we believed. Listen, we know the timeline. We know the biblical timeline. We know where we are. We know how close we are to getting out of here. We know that the days are getting darker. We know the end is drawing near, and we know that the Lord's return is imminent. But we don't know exactly when it is. And the command here for Christians in the realm of politics, in the realm of government, is wake up. Pay attention to what's happening in politics. Look at what the devil's schemes are in this area, in this political arena. You know, the, we, I, told, I agree, you know, I hear Christians say, well, you know, it's got to get worse. The Bible says it's got to get worse for Jesus to come back. 
I agree. I, that is 100% true. But when is he coming back? You don't know. We don't know. Are we willing to, here in our country, are we willing to gamble the freedoms and liberties of our children and grandchildren because it's got to get worse before Jesus returns? I don't think it's worth the gamble. You know, Ronald Reagan said freedom uh, is only one generation away from extinction. Are you going to be the generation that it dies on? Are you not going to let your children and grandchildren enjoy the freedom that you enjoy in serving the Lord? Wake up. It's time to wake up. Verse 12, the night is far spent, the day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the work of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. We know the time. It's, we, now we're, if, if 2020 didn't wake you up, I don't know what will. But now that you are awake and you're seeing what's going on, it's time to suit up. We know the armor of God in Ephesians chapter 6. We need to put it on. You know, I heard a preacher say that uh, not every situation in a Christian's life should be a battle. But we are commanded to put on the whole armor of God for a reason. You know, we don't have to go... In, in the time that this was written, a Roman soldier did not wear their armor 100% of the time. When they were home, when they were at peace, they were not wearing their armor. But when their armor was on, they were looking for a fight. They were ready to go to battle. And I don't see anywhere in this Bible where it says we should take our armor off. God wants us ready for the battle at all times, no matter what. And in this context of this chapter, we, not only do we need to wake up to what the devil is doing, but we need to suit up. We need to get ready because I got, I got news for you. The fight is not coming. The fight is here. Sarah can tell you this. She's been to a couple of committee meetings with me. I have to argue with our local party as to whether or not we should be pro-life. I can't even get them to agree that killing babies is wrong. The fight is here, and it's time to wake up, and it's time to suit up. Romans chapter, uh, in verse 13, let us walk honestly as in the day, not in rioting and drunkenness, not in chambering and wantonness, not in strife and envying. You know, uh, the world is destroying itself. It's, and, and I mean, there's nothing new under the sun. Look at, this, look at this chapter and look at what we're dealing with today. The world is destroying themselves physically in riots and drunkenness, sexually in chambering and wantonness, emotionally in strife and envying. And what is our command? Our command is in 2 Timothy chapter 2, in verses 3 and 4. Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. Listen, let the world burn. Don't get caught up in that hype. All you need to do is stand up. Just stand up and be what God wants you to be, a light in this dark world. We are the moon that the sun is bouncing off of. Just stand up. In 1 Corinthians, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Wake up, suit up, stand up. Now is the time for Christians to be involved more than ever. We need to be standing up for Jesus Christ. And then lastly, put, uh, but put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lusts thereof. Uh, turn over to James uh, chapter 4. James chapter 4. James chapter 4 and verse 8. Uh, this is also um, the cure to coronavirus. 
Draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. Draw nigh to God. Don't get caught up in what the world is doing. Don't pay attention to what the news media is telling you. Just follow this book. Get close to God. Draw nigh to him and stay clean. That's talking about the inside. You need to make sure that we're living, that we're right with God so that we can be used of God in this area. Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5 and verse uh, 16 and 17. This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusteth against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary the one to the other, so that ye cannot do the things that ye would. Stand up, stand firm, draw nigh to God. No matter what is happening around us, we know that there is a spiritual battle. I just had this conversation recently with somebody, and we were talking about you know, the, the two dogs that are fighting, the Spirit and the flesh. Which one are you feeding? Which one is going to win? We need to be drawing nigh to God, draw nigh to God. He'll draw nigh to us. Stand firm for what is the truth and feed the Spirit daily. Get in your Bible. Talk to God. Listen to some messages. That's what God wants us to do. It doesn't matter what is happening around us. It doesn't matter what the government says. We need to stand for the truth. In this last election, one candidate I fundamentally disagree with, but he said repeatedly, that this is a fight for the soul of America. And it is absolutely true. You look at our nation's history and politics and religion were all combined in one arena. And then the devil got involved and convinced us that there should be a separation of church and state. And the church has not been doing its duty, according to the Bible, of being involved. And I've talked to pastor about this. The left is not anti-religious. They have become their own religion. And you know what? Church and state is now back together. And it's more important now than ever before that we stand up, we wake up, we suit up, and we stand up for Jesus Christ. Turn your Bibles to Proverbs 29. Am I, I figured it out? Okay. That's the hardest part. Proverbs chapter 29. First, I'm going to get there. And Proverbs 29, 25 says, The fear of man bringeth a snare, and a snare... Uh, is anything, according to 1828 Dictionary, is anything by which one is entangled and brought into trouble. It says, so, so the fear of man bringeth a snare, but whoso putteth his trust in the Lord shall be safe. And then uh, turn over to Jeremiah chapter 5. Jeremiah chapter 5, and we'll look in verse 26. It 
We'll start in verse 25. Your iniquities have turned away these things, and your sins have withholden good things from you. For among my people are found wicked men. They lay wait as he that set us snares. They set a trap. They catch men. Uh, the fear of man is a powerful thing, whether you realize it or not. And it can really cause havoc in our lives. Um, there are many instances in the Bible uh, where fear of man caused wrong decisions to be made. Uh, Saul, think about Saul. When he was told to destroy the king of the Amalekites, and he was told to destroy every living thing, and he didn't, later on you'll see in verse uh, 24, he says, I have sinned. He says, Samuel, I have sinned. For I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord and thy words, because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. So now we know Saul had developed a bad habit of making excuses, which we can all have a bad habit of. Uh, but he, he said the people, I feared the people. So the fear of man. Um, uh, it says uh, also in, when it talks about Aaron. And now, now remember this. Aaron had personally spoken to God. And he had spoke on behalf of God, so he was not a stranger to what God wanted. Okay, But when, when Moses goes up to the mountain, as we well know, he decides to listen to the people. And they threw all this stuff into the fire, as you remember. And that's one of the funniest phrases in the Bible to me. Well, this calf just jumped out of the fire. Well, I've thrown lots of things in fires, okay? And nothing has ever jumped out of the fire except for maybe some sparks or, you know, things like that. All right? So, but again, he blamed it on the people. He said, I was, basically, he was afraid because the people were coming to him and they were demanding something of him. So that's another instance where, where fear came into play. Um, Peter denied Christ three times. Three times. In three times, he was, he was asked, are you a follower of Jesus? And he, because of fear, because he knew the current climate of what was going on in the world, he said, I don't know what you're talking about. You never saw me there. Fear, again, comes into play. Abraham called Sarah his sister because he uh, uh, was afraid of Abimelech. Elijah saw this great victory and, and saw all the prophets of Baal slain, and then he runs and hides under a tree from Jezebel. And you know what? We, we like to look, and I'm the same way, sometimes we look at those and we say, well, man, what is wrong with these people? Forgetting to look in the mirror at ourselves and say, well, what is wrong with me? Because sometimes I do the same exact thing. So tonight we're going to look at some symptoms of a Christian that has the fear of man. Let's have a word of prayer and then we're going to get started. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you uh, for the message that was just preached. Um, that, that was a blessing, and uh, I pray that you'd help uh, us to be serious about um, what you have for us to do. Uh, I pray that you'd be with me as I preach, that you'd give me uh, wisdom, that you'd help um, the right words to come out, and uh, pray that you would help me not to be afraid, and uh, that you'd help me to uh, say exactly what you want me to say. I pray that you'd guide and direct me through Holy Spirit. I pray that you take this message and help it to be a blessing uh, and an encouragement to us as we start out this new year. I pray in Jesus' name. 
Amen. The first symptom of someone that is, has the fear of man is they hold back in their testimony or they hold back in witnessing. Um, ask yourself this question. Have you ever not passed out of track? And what was the cause of that? Guar pretty much guarantee you the cause of that was fear. And, you know, I am... <laughs> I'm one of these people that I, you don't hear me, I don't really talk a whole lot about COVID. I, I really try to avoid the subject because uh, I deal with enough of it at work. I don't really want to deal with it when I'm not at work. And, uh, but I have allowed it to be used as an excuse in my life. I gave this example this morning in junior church. I've gone to pass out a track to somebody since this whole thing started. And then I've stopped and said, well, you probably shouldn't hand them a track because then they might think that you're passing a disease to them and when God, the Holy Spirit clearly told me to pass out the track. And I withdrew because I was afraid how someone was going to react. Since when is that okay? Uh, when you do that, and when I do that, it's because we're afraid of man. We have a fear of man. Um, have you ever held back in sharing the gospel? When God has given you a clear opening. And you know exactly what I'm talking about. A conversation comes up at work, and maybe this hasn't happened to you, but this has happened to me. Conversation comes up at work, and uh, somebody says something, and then they say, and we refer to everybody I work with by last names, they say, Corey, what do you think about this? And I'd like to say that I always had the right answer, but sometimes I've kept my mouth shut. Or maybe you're, uh, you, you're in the grocery store and, and the cashier just, uh, you know, these aren't happenstances, okay? I don't, I don't believe in happenstances. A cashier happens to mention a certain thing that's a trigger for an opening for you to give a, not even, you know, it's, it's a cash register, so obviously you got to keep things moving, I understand that. But it's an obvious, clear opening for you to put a seed of something from God's Word in there, and God gives you the answer to that, and you pass it up. What is that? That's the fear of man. That's, uh, you know, and uh, when it comes to fear of man, you know, uh, fear is good in your life. And this, uh, going back to last Sunday night's message about fear. Fear is good in our lives, but you know what? Here's what, here's what happens. We sometimes get this, we, we, the fear of man, this is what happens. There's this fear you know, just like raising children. And we're going to touch on that a little bit later. I don't want my kids, you know, there's a certain thing. Maybe you didn't grow up this way, but I grew up this way. Not a scared to death, hide in the basement type of fear. But when my dad said something, there was fear in my house. Because we knew he meant business. When you were out in a restaurant and he looked at you a certain way at the table, you knew, shut it down or you're gonna really have big issues. Um, and, and again, that, that was a healthy fear, but you know what, if that's the only fear I ever had, then I miss out. And if that's the only fear we instill in our children is, if I say something, you better do it. And you know, I'm, I'm the boss and all that. But you know what, we want it to transition into a fear of the Lord because we're not always gonna be there. And as much as we try to put our, 
our, you know, put our children, push them out, but kind of keep things controlled a little bit, and we try to do all that, eventually they're going to have to go out and skate on the pond by themselves, and we're not going to be there to pick them up. So they have to have something on the inside or they're going to crash and burn. They have to have a fear of the Lord. And this, this whole fear thing, is a, it's, a, you know, it's a thing that constantly is just like Adam was saying, there's that battle that goes on all the time. And it's, okay, do I fear the Lord and do I obey him or do I obey what man says? And I'll be honest with you, when, when this whole whatever this was that started, I, and maybe part of it's I've got a little twinge of um, fight back in me. I don't know. <laughs> and maybe that's not always a good thing. Um, but when this whole thing started, it was like, well, if the government wants me to do this and they tell me I can't go to church, then they're completely wrong. And we need to fight and we need to go march on Albany. I mean, that's, that, that was just my mindset, okay? And, and then I said, whoa, stop and think about this thing, okay? Uh, thankfully, I didn't react. I didn't load up all my guns and go for a drive, okay? I didn't do any of that stuff. But, that, but that's, that's the battle we have that goes on inside of us. And, and, um, and that's the same battle. We, we give in to man and we say, okay, well, you know, they say we can't do this, so we're not going to do this. Now, I'm not saying, just like was preached before, it's kind of, you know, it's neat how the Lord puts things together. Um, I'm not saying that, that you, you can't push things a little bit. I'm not saying, I'm not, I'm not telling you to break the law, okay? But kind of like I, I remember Pastor saying this, um, somebody put in his head when he first got here, a local official, and said, well, you're going to need to get a permit to go door to door. I'm like, oh, no, we're not doing that. That's what I'm talking about. I'm talking about being respectful. There's enough jerks in this world, okay? And I'm one of them sometimes, just being honest, okay? There's enough jerks in this world. The Bible tells us, just, just like was said earlier, the Bible tells us we're supposed to handle things, a we're supposed to be better. You know, just like it says in Philippians chapter 4, it says, do all things without murmurings and disputings. Why do we do all things without murmuring and disputing? Because if we do that, we're gonna, people are going to see that we're not like everybody else. But when we're part of the crowd that complains and whines and badmouths the boss and criticizes our coworkers and criticizes the governor and criticizes the president and the senators and... Nancy Pelosi buys expensive ice cream, and what well, she does. But all that stuff, we're, we're part of the problem. We're not doing all things without murmurings and disputings. When we're, when we're having petty arguments with people in church, and, oh, and I haven't heard anybody say this, so I, but I've heard of other churches where this happens, okay? Oh, well, you know what? Nobody asked me what color we should paint this back here. I never got asked, so I'm not coming to church anymore. But people have, people, I've heard people have done that. Well, they didn't, we didn't have a committee to pick out the color of the carpet when we put new carpet in the auditorium. Who cares? The fear of man is much more important. We, we worry about all that stupid stuff. And meanwhile, you know what? Look around, people. Now, we got a good crowd here tonight, and I'm thankful for that. And I understand that we've been affected by things we can and can't do. But I'll be honest with you. 
there was a couple months where I was starting to say, whoa, what is going on? Where, where are the people in our church? Now, I understand people, I'm not talking about people missing that are regulars. I'm saying, where are, we need to start filling up, and I know, we, we need to start filling up our pews. And what is the reason that we're not doing that? Are we, are we, I, I tell my kids this all the time, and it's something that was drilled into me when I was a kid. Are we the best employee at our job? What do they say about us when the doors closed? Now, I know, <laughs> I don't know how everybody else's workplace is, but wow, do they backbite. Wow. And it's whoever's not in the room. And let me, let me just say this. Let me fill you in. It's the same can be true at church. If people are talking about other people in a negative way in front of you, what are they saying about you when you're not there? Just thought I would ask that. If your boss or, or your coworkers are, this guy's a jerk and this guy's this, and blah, 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 what do they do when you walk out the door? What do they have to say about you? They should be able to say, you know what, this guy is a good worker. They may not like him. I mean, there's some people that react strong. You know, the Bible says it's going to happen. There's some people I work with that react violently almost to Christianity. You, you, anything comes up about the Bible, they get irate. But they should still be able to say about you that you're somebody that cares that you're somebody that's a good employee, they should still be able to say that because you're, that if you're living the Bible, that's how your life is going to be. You'll be that person that shows up for your fellow coworker. You'll be that person that, that cares when no one else cares. So first thing we do is we hold back in witnessing when we when we're, have the fear of man. The second thing is we make poor choices. Turn over to Psalms, uh, Psalm 111. In Psalm 111, verse 10, it says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. A good understanding have all they that do his commandments, his praise endureth forever. It says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. A good understanding have all they that do his commandments. So in other words, and we all know this, but if you want to have true, the right kind of fear, fear of the Lord, you, and you want to have wisdom, I don't know about you, but I need wisdom. I have a wife. I have four children. I have two girls. I really need wisdom. No, I'm just kidding. But I, I need wisdom as a parent. I ask God all the time for wisdom. I don't know what to do. Yeah, in theory, I know what to do. I know what the Bible says. But there's situations that arise that I go, whoa, this wasn't in, in Jim Townsley's book about the home, which is a good book, by the way. 
But uh, this wasn't in uh, uh, to train up a child or, you know, I, I don't remember reading about this. What am I, what am I gonna do, right? We need wisdom. You know, the Bible does say, and that's, this is where the wisdom comes in too, we ought to obey God rather than man. Well, that is true, but I don't know about you, but that was put to the test, for me anyways, because I thought it was an attack at first on Christianity. And I had to, that, and that verse popped into my head. And I said, oh, we, you know, we're supposed to obey God rather than man. So if they tell us that we can't meet, we're gonna, we should meet anyways. And then I, again, you, sometimes, you have, sometimes you have to stop, okay? And you have to think and pray through things. And you have to go to people wiser than you and talk to them. Because God gives them insight about things. And that's what I had to do. And I, and I already told Pastor this a long time ago. But like I said, when this thing first started, I was upset. Because I said, what, you know, what, do we believe the Bible or not? Why are we shutting down? That's just what I was saying privately. Didn't say it to anyone else. Didn't put it on Facebook. Didn't put it on Instagram. Didn't send a group text out to anyone. I prayed about it. And I went to Pastor and said, why are we doing this? And he said, this, 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 this. And I said, okay, now I'm okay. My first reaction wasn't right. But again, if you want what's right, you know what? My, one of my reactions too was I, I saw some kids walking down the hallway in my house and I said, this is a test. They're watching you. You better pass the test. Now, I know they're always watching me. I understand that. But to me, that was a real wake-up call to say, hey, they're really watching you. You better be careful what you say and be careful in what you do because you got little eyes watching you. And last of all, we're gonna, another way is we get caught in the dangerous trap of comparisons. And you say, what do you mean by that? What I mean is, when we fear man, we start to compare ourselves to each other. You know, growing up, there's certain verses that you remember, okay? Um, Be ye kind one to another, uh, tenderhearted. Uh, Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. Uh, The verse that um, seems to happen a lot at our house is do all things without murmurings and disputings. there's all kinds of verses that get quoted, right? But a verse my mom always used to quote was the last part of 2 Corinthians 10, 12. It says, But they measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves are not wise. And you need, and this goes back to what I was just talking about, about decisions about what the church was going to do with everything that was going on. You need to decide what to do as the head of your home, talking with your wife, praying with your wife, talking things through, and you need to figure out what God's will is for your family, and you need to do it. 
Forget what everybody else is doing. Who cares if they have a different approach to child rearing unless it's 40-day hunger strikes, okay? I'm, I'm not saying if someone's egregious, and, and, and I think we all understand that, but we waste our time on petty junk and worried so much about, well, you know, we, we better look a certain way when we go to church, and, and, and you know, we better, uh, uh, we better do it just this way because we don't want anybody to think. That. No, if God tells you to do something else, then you do it. Again, within the context of God's word. We, we waste so much time on this garbage. It, do what God wants you to do. Who cares what anybody else is doing? This, I, I get so, and, and, and I, I'm, I'd, I'd be lying if I didn't say that I don't post stuff on social media, okay? But I get so sick of, of, that's what I hate about social media. I probably should just get off of it. But people post this stuff about their family, and then you say, is that the same guy that, that does this? Is that the same guy that I've seen do this to his kids? And now he's going to post Mr. Family of the Year photo on, on Facebook? No. But we get busy comparing ourselves because of the fear of man. We say, well, well, I better be a certain way because people are going to say something. No, how about you better be a certain way because you want your family to be what God wants your family to be instead of what some little box that you think we're all supposed to fit into. Do what God wants you to do. But guess what that takes? Work. Loss of sleep. But we're too lazy. Me included sometimes. I'm, not, I'm preaching to myself too. If you can't tell, God kind of worked me over a little bit. Let me tell you something, folks. Just like was preached earlier, you know, I've been hearing, uh, <laughs> I thought it was really coming back about 40 years ago. We used to watch, what are those movies called? The Thief in the Night movies on New Year's Eve. Let me tell you, kids, preaching post is calm. <laughs> okay? I think there was 15 altar calls and every kid was scared to death. Okay? And I'm not knocking those movies. That's not what I mean by that. But, but we were convinced. I was convinced I would never see my 10th birthday. I, I thought, it's over, baby. Right? But it wasn't. And, and does that diminish the fact that, God is com that Jesus is coming back? No, it does not. But you know what? There's nothing new under the sun. I, I, I tell the kids this all the time at junior church, and I tell my own kids this. Guess what? Now, am I diminishing the fact that our world is evil? No, I am not. Now, we're aborting babies in this country. Well, when's the last time you saw a baby sacrifice on a regular basis? When's the last time you were scared to walk down the street? That's what was going on in Bible times. They were offering babies as sacrifices. The, the, the woman that came before Solomon, the two women, remember, and they were, one of them said, go ahead and kill the baby. Cut it right in half. That's not natural. But that happened over 2,000 years ago. Now, yes, things are bad. Don't get me wrong. But here's, here's my mindset sometimes is, well, I've been hearing it since I was a kid, 
so we've got plenty of time. That's not necessarily true. Who knows? We may live out our years. I don't know that. But sometimes we lose sight of that. And we get a little too comfy and cozy down here. Enjoying the fruits of labor. Me, me to be included too. And we forget what we're supposed to be doing. We forget that we're supposed to be steering our children toward God. Like I said, does that take work? Uh, listen, if, 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 if you... See, that's the problem. And, and it's a good thing. We don't need to know what happens in everyone, everyone's houses. But we've had hour, hours, long sessions with children. Hours. This is wrong. You're being punished because this is wrong. I didn't do anything wrong. Or, or they admit they did wrong, and then they, they get up from the punishment and they say, well, really what happened was, okay, let's deal with it again. Let's deal with it again. Let's deal with it again. Tears, hugging, praying. Believe me, it's work. And you know what? Sometimes it's really easy to just say, forget it. That'd be the easier thing to do. If you don't take into consideration that there's an end result that you're looking for. So again, this fear of man thing. We come back to the fear of man. The fear of man. We make decisions in our family based on how it will be perceived instead of principles from God's word. We abandon God's leading and counsel and make poor decisions because we're worried about pleasing people. You know what? At, at our house, the kids go to bed at 8 o'clock. If you send your kids to bed at 8.30 or 9 or whatever you, whatever you do, guess what? That's not my business. You need to decide. You need to pray about it and decide what would be the right thing to do. If maybe there's some activities that maybe I wouldn't let my kids be involved in, but you don't have a problem with it because you believe that's what God would want your kids to do. That's fine. You need to take the time to find out what you're supposed to be doing. Forget comparisons. Compar comparisons is, you know, uh, you know, there's that saying, an idle mind or an idle hands or the devil's workshop. Comparisons is the devil's workshop. Let me tell you. Because you know what? We, and you know what? And that's our human tendency, though. You think about it. You look all through the Bible. You see that in the Bible. Comparison. Comparing ourselves. Why does the, why God put the, the, allow it to be in God's word? Because it's obviously a problem. Stop comparing yourself and find out what you're supposed to do and do it. When God shows you something, just obey it. You know, we, we, we like to, uh, um, actually Adam and I were talking about this earlier. We like to find some golden thing that no one's ever preached or that no one... Listen, we have a hard enough time 
understanding and doing the things that we're supposed to do and that we already know. Let's not get off into the weeds somewhere, okay? Let's do what we already know. And you know what? Can I just say this? And, and this is an area where I have had to really be better at. Talk to your wife about these things. What do I mean by that? What do I mean by this is this. You know, you got to plan ahead. And before we had any children, we discussed, okay, if they do this, what are we going to do? If, now, did we have a foolproof plan and think through every scenario? No. Okay? We almost have a teenager in our house, but not quite. It would be another year, right? We are already talking about when our kids are teenagers, what, what are going to be the boundaries? What are going to be the parameters? What, what are we going to allow and what are we not going to allow? What have we seen that didn't work? And what, what, we've talked about those things. Why? Because it's important. Not, again, not comparing, but trying to figure out what is best, the best plan for our family and go with it. And the last thing is this, the cure. So turn back to Proverbs chapter 29. And the cure is really easy. No, not really. <laughs> it's, it, it's seemingly easy. It's in the same verse. You don't even have to go to another verse to find the cure. But it's a lot of times we find it hard to do. It says, The fear of man bringeth a snare, but who so putteth his trust in the Lord shall be safe. The cure for the fear of man? Trust in the Lord. You know, just like Proverbs uh, 3, 5, and 6, trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not into thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. Um, uh, the, there's a verse in Proverbs that says, safety is of the Lord. Um, Isaiah 26, 3, thou wilt keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee, because he trusteth in thee. Where does the peace, where does the direction come from? It comes from trust. We say that we trust God. But then we are doing everything that we're supposed to do and everything doesn't work out the way we thought it should work out and now we don't trust God anymore. Or somebody uh, says something to us and we fear man more than we fear God and now we don't trust in the Lord. Lean not unto thine own understanding. You know what? An eye-opening verse is, for me anyways, this is something I get reminded of all the time, is, but when I really process this verse for the first time is, the king's heart is in the hand of the Lord, and he turneth it whithersoever he will. It is not a shock or a surprise that our country is in turmoil. It is not a shock or a surprise who won the election. But what do we do? It reveals our spiritual weakness when we get frazzled by that because we, without, un, without even knowing it, we reveal to everyone 
that we really don't trust God the way that we say we do. I don't know about you, but I don't want this fear of man thing to overtake my life. I would rather fear God and keep his commandments and live in peace. No matter, and here's the key part about that. You can be in peace, and, and you all know this, but you can be in peace when the whole world falls apart. Even your whole little world falls apart. And everybody says, how can they be so happy? Well, the keys are found in God's word. Get rid of this fear of man, push it to the side, and trust in the Lord.